Hi, I'm Gary and this is episode 127 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at electric aviation. Flying is a big polluter and with rapidly decreasing flight costs, more choice and many, many airlines flying across the world, is it a way to reduce the pollution and emissions that come as a byproduct? We'll look at where battery technology is, what the alternatives are, and why 500 miles is a much smaller barrier with a much bigger benefit than you might think for a plane. This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. Before we start, I wanted to remind you to check through the back catalogue of episodes if you're new here and there's something specific that you want to know about. Cables, charge costs, specific EV models, charging hubs, charge point operators, batteries, etc. There's probably something there for you to listen to. Our main topic of discussion today is electric aviation. It's a well-known fact that aviation accounts for a disproportionately large part of the global carbon footprint, and there are numerous reasons for this. The high number of flights and destinations, the cheapness of flights, the range of different aircraft covering various routes. In the big scheme of things, people can look and say, yes, but it's only 4% of the global carbon footprint, which is accurate. But that 4% is equal to 400 coal-fired power plants, which is about the same number of power plants the United States has. And aviation grows 4% per year, which means it doubles every 15 years. And this means in 30 years' time, if things don't change, you'll be throwing out the same amount of emissions as 1,600 coal-fired power plants. Now we're getting to China levels of greenhouse gases. But without a shadow of a doubt, and inarguably the largest contributor to the carbon footprint of, of aircraft, is the fact that they all run on kerosene, avgas, or equivalent. Getting a 300-ton Airbus A380 or Boeing 747 into the air needs a huge amount of power, and that power comes from large jet engines, which are strong enough, if used inappropriately, to literally rip the tarmac off a runway. If you've ever seen those videos of the beachgoers struggling to remain standing at the end of the runway in St. Martin as a KLM 747 accelerates for takeoff, you'll understand the power these engines put out. And all that is fuelled by fossil fuels which are burned by the engines and the exhaust is spat out into the atmosphere. Consider that in a typical day, the US alone will see somewhere in the region of 110,000 flights being taken by commercial airlines. American Airlines alone has nearly 7,000 flights to 350 destinations per day. I tracked an American Airlines A321 Airbus recently and it crossed the mainland US from coast to coast 16 times in six days, as well as doing an additional eight flights between John F. Kennedy and Boston Airport, which is a short flight of 41 minutes reaching an inefficient flying altitude of 21,000 feet. I also tracked a single British Airways A380 Airbus. In a six-day period, it crossed the Atlantic 12 times, as well as doing a couple of short-haul flights between London and Frankfurt. Each one of these flights is kicking out a huge chunk of non-renewable, polluting aviation emissions, which contribute to the huge carbon footprint of transport across the globe. And naturally, it's an area that environmentalists, and anyone who understands the impact of these things, wants to see decarbonised. The problem is, how? Well, here on the podcast, we're big fans of electric aviation. If you go back and listen to some of the cool things we've talked about in the past, a relatively high proportion of them are for electric planes or innovations in the electric flight arena. 
But the one thing all these have in common is that they're all relatively short-range solutions. And there's a reason for that. Just like electric cars, electric planes have an energy density issue. Consider that a typical long-distance flight will stay in the air for anything between 6 and 13 hours. I've personally travelled on several occasions from London to Singapore, a 13-hour flight, Frankfurt to Shanghai, 12 hours, Sydney to Los Angeles, another 13-hour flight, and London to Cape Town, another 12-hour flight. But that's just small fry. The longest non-stop commercial flight is New York to Singapore, a distance of 9,500 miles, and a duration of 18 hours and 50 minutes. Australian airline Qantas also demonstrated a New York City to Sydney flight using a Boeing 787-9. The flight took 19 hours, 15 minutes. Qantas demonstrated another Project Sunrise route using a 787-9 to fly from London Heathrow to Sydney Airport non-stop. The flight lasted 19 hours, 19 minutes and travelled a distance of 17,750 kilometres, which is about 9,584 nautical miles and 11,029 statute miles. The amount of fuel needed to cover these flights and leave enough spare fuel to divert to an alternate airport in case of an emergency and have a reserve in case of having to hold is huge and it's all possible due to the extremely high energy density of fossil fuels. A1 jet fuel and and, uh, the equivalent synthetic aviation fuel has an energy density of 34.7 megajoules per litre a lithium-ion battery, for comparison, has an equivalent density of 0.7 megajoules per litre. That's 49 times lower. At the moment, the longest flight ever taken by an electric plane, not counting experimental solar planes, is 341 miles. There are currently, literally, dozens of companies trying to get into the electric aviation marketplace. However, the one plane that has the longest current proposed range on a full electric, i.e. battery-only base, is the Aviation Alice. The latest version, which is going forward for testing, is thought to have a maximum range of 500 miles. That's not bad. I mean, sure, it's not an 18-hour flight from New York to Singapore and it only carries nine passengers and two crew. But to put that into context, here are some stats. Two billion air tickets are sold each year for flights under 500 miles. In 2019, the world sold 4.5 billion air tickets and more than half were 350 miles or shorter. Of the top 50 busiest aviation routes in the world, 19 of them are less than the 500-mile range of the Aviation Alice. That's 38%. Of the top 13 busiest routes in terms of passenger volume, six of them could easily be done by the Aviation Alice, 46%. Looking at Europe, of the top 30 routes run in terms of passenger volume, only eight of them are outside the ability of an electric aircraft with 500 miles of range. In other words, 73% of them could be flown by an Alice. Of the top 10 routes in the US by passengers, however, only two of them are less than 500 miles, but that is a bit misleading as a stat. According to Dutch aerospace startup Venturi Aerospace, their proposed Echelon 1 aircraft with a range of 550 kilometres, 340 miles, will allow them to cover 25% of all short-haul passenger flights in Europe and 39% of US flights, which are generally the commuter-type flights between relatively nearby cities. Think... New York, Washington, Chicago, Cleveland, Los Angeles, San Diego, etc. So it's fair to say that the market for electric aircraft is there. With running costs well below anything current fossil fuel power planes can hope to get, the economic case for going electric in aviation is very compelling. Uh, We'll come back to cost in a short while. 
There are a number of small airlines running very local routes across places like the United States of America. One in particular, United Airlines subsidiary, runs 15 destinations within 250 miles of their Denver, Colorado base. Several of these are high-volume flights for tourists to ski destinations such as Aspen, Colorado. Widerö Airlines in northern Norway run the majority of their flights on a 250-mile distance from their Tromsø hub. Cape Air, based in Cape Cod, doesn't run a single route over 250 miles. One of its more popular routes is Nantucket to JFK, a distance of about 190 miles. All of these can be run with electric aircraft. For much longer distances though, there are a number of issues that need to be overcome. The first is, of course, range. It's easy enough to get an electric aircraft to do 500 miles per charge, but in order to do that, you need to reduce the weight. One way of doing that is to reduce the cargo and payload. Take 9 passengers instead of 40 passengers, for example. The reason you need a longer range is because A, it means you can service different destinations further apart, obviously, and B, it allows you to keep the mandated reserve power needed for diversions and holding patterns. I regularly flew into Heathrow Airport on Friday evening around 5pm, and the number of times I flew straight in without having to do at least one circuit of the holding pattern, I can count on the fingers of a mint. In an electric aircraft, this will need to be accounted for in the battery range. And that becomes a problem. There are also issues surrounding recharging at airports. Nobody wants a plane that takes more than about 30 minutes to charge when it lands. And that means high power chargers at each destination. And that means good grid connections. That's not a problem at larger airports because they use a huge amount of energy, especially somewhere like Heathrow, JFK or Chicago O'Hare. But some of the smaller regional airports, such as Knox County Airport in Rockland, Maine, Maybe not so much. There's also the technical issues associated with heat in a battery. Unlike electric cars, electric planes will have their motors running for pretty much all their working day. This means heat buildup. And as we know from battery electrochemist Dr Ewan McTurk, heat is not good in a battery and it needs to be dissipated as quickly as possible. This causes technical complications that need to be ironed out. Another issue with electric planes is that unlike planes running on kerosene or avgas, they don't tend to get lighter as they fly longer. The 17,750km flight I mentioned earlier in the 787-9 from London to Sydney would have been really heavy at takeoff, but comparatively light at landing, as almost all the fuel was burned off during the flight. A battery electric aircraft weighs the same when it lands as when it starts. This means there's no efficiency to be gained by the decreasing weight you get in a fossil fuel plane. But these are all going to be issues that will be sorted out. There's no difference between these and the issues that plagued propeller and jet planes when they started flying. For many years, planes couldn't go above a certain altitude until they discovered ways of pressurising them. Then, metal fatigue struck, causing planes like the Comet to break apart in mid-air. Then there was the whole issue of engine efficiency, which is why jets are preferable to prop planes on many routes. But these issues were all sorted out either through trial and error, design changes, or just plain technological know-how. One area that will see rapid development for electric planes is energy density in batteries. At its basic, the higher the energy density of a battery, the more a given battery size can power a motor. If you cast your mind back to the original Nissan LEAF, it had a 24 kilowatt hour battery in a specific battery size. The next iteration of that pack was more energy dense, and in the same size footprint, you got 30 kilowatt hours. The iteration after that managed 40 kilowatt hours, and the current iteration is 60 kilowatt hours, all in the same size of battery. And that's because with bigger battery density, you can reduce the size of a battery for the same given range. And this allows you to make a bigger battery and get longer range in the same size pack. 
The Venturi Aerospace Echelon 1 aircraft mentioned earlier is taking advantage of this in its design. They fixed what the structural size and shape of the plane is going to be and this has given them a specific flight range. But they know that between the time they design the plane and the time it gets certification, battery density will have increased. So they're working on the basis that the batteries will be replaceable. This means when a plane goes in for service, they'll take the old batteries out and replace them with identical size but higher density batteries that will increase the range immediately. The removed batteries will either be recycled and used again in later iterations or sent to airports where the plane is operating and used as static storage fed constantly through lower powered electricity sources to allow the planes to be recharged in 30 minutes or less when they land using static storage as a power source. So looking at all I've already said, it seems fairly obvious that battery electric power is suitable for short haul aircraft. In theory you could ex extend the range indefinitely just by adding more and more batteries. In practice this doesn't work because the plane becomes too heavy, meaning payload and therefore income will be reduced, and the recharge times at the airport become too long, meaning fewer flights per day. So there has to be a solution for longer flights. How do we replace kerosene and avgas as an energy source to allow a plane with 500 passengers to fly across the Atlantic? we need to look at other zero emissions power. And that's where hydrogen comes in. Like batteries, hydrogen is not the perfect solution. But unlike batteries, the areas where it is weak are less important than the areas in which it excels. Hydrogen has a much higher energy density than batteries. That means it can power a plane for longer than an equivalent battery. It's also quicker to refuel than electricity under the right conditions. And it's lighter than a battery, which helps with the payload. However, hydrogen was what they put in the Hindenburg. The pure explosiveness of it was a problem alongside the embrittlement issues, which will need to be sorted out. These can be dealt with using things such as plastic or carbon fibre tubing, which isn't subject to hydrogen embrittlement. If hydrogen is being used in a fuel cell, it will need to be stored under pressure. The hydrogen tanks will need regular inspection to ensure they maintain integrity. And another issue with hydrogen, important more for home use than aviation use, is that it's odourless. In order to detect a hydrogen leak, it will need to have an odour added to it, and the current chemical used for household gas to render it detectable has a much larger molecule than hydrogen. As a result, hydrogen can escape through much smaller holes than the molecule which provides the odour. It effectively becomes undetectable. There's also an issue with hydrogen in that it burns with an invisible flame. Hydrogen tanks will also need to be relatively large, and the electricity itself will need to be stored in a battery temporarily as that's what actually drives the motors, electricity from a battery. A fuel cell by itself can't produce enough power to directly run a motor and drive a propeller. So, what about hybrid planes? Use energy-dense fuel alongside batteries to do the literal heavy lifting at takeoff and landing where most power is needed, alongside batteries to cruise where power usage is the lowest. There are several aircraft that fall into this category already, although none of them are yet certified for operation. Mostly they combine a gas turbine running on normal um, avgas with one or more electric motors running on lithium-ion batteries. These do solve some of the issues of battery electric aircraft, notably the increased range, but as with normal hybrid cars running on the road, they suffer from similar issues, the main one being that they increase weight for no apparent range gain. In the big scheme of things, they could reduce emissions and fuel usage by 30%, which is huge for airlines but they still incur heavy maintenance costs, and they still use fossil fuel. Everything we've talked about here today is something that is theoretically doable in order to make electric aviation a reality. But the one thing that will push airlines to do this over all other factors is simple. And I mentioned a few moments ago, and it's cost. 
Let's go back to Cape Air that I mentioned earlier. They run a route from Boston to Rockland, Maine, a distance of 151 miles. This route is currently subsidised by the US government to the tune of around $2.2 to $2.4 million per year. Through publicly available records, we know that these routes made a profit of $1.09 per passenger. That's a pretty tight margin of profit. A leap in fuel prices would decimate that profit quite easily. But if you ran the same route using an Eviation Alice, the figures would look a lot different. The Alice runs on electricity, which would virtually remove the $844,000 fuel cost on that route. The capital costs would increase as the planes would be more expensive, but the maintenance costs would dramatically decrease as the plane would essentially have one moving part in the motor. The majority of maintenance on small propeller aircraft is in the engine driving the propeller. In fact, all planes need engine overhauls every so often, and that means the cost of this needs to be factored into the maintenance. Electric motors will also need overhauling, but the cost is much, much lower. The figures then start to look a lot more healthy. It's anticipated the, the operating costs on that route would decrease by 40%. The profit per passenger with an Eviation Alice on that route would increase to $100.62, all else being equal. That's a pretty compelling business case, and it's that that's going to drive electric aviation forwards. Mark my words. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. Berlin is planning a car-free area larger than Manhattan. In 2019, three friends in a bar had a radical idea. What if the middle of their then-car-centric city became essentially car-free? Over the next few months, they kept talking about the idea and eventually created a group, Volksentscheid Berlin Autofrei, or People's Decision for an Autofree Berlin. They hope to make the area inside the Ringbahn in Berlin totally car-free. As in other cities, car-free doesn't literally mean that no cars could enter the area, but private car use would dramatically drop. Special permits would be given to emergency vehicles, uh, garbage trucks, taxis, commercial and delivery vehicles, although many deliveries in Berlin already happen on cargo bikes, and residents with limited mobility who depend on cars. Others would be able to use a car, likely through a car-sharing programme, up to 12 times a year to run longer errands. But most people, most of the time, would walk, bike, or take public transport. Cities like Amsterdam have proven that this is entirely possible, so good luck to the group as they gather the signatures and support they need to move forward. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by Zapmap. Zapmap is the go-to app for EV drives in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use, with subscription plans for enhanced features, such as using ZapMap in car, on CarPlay or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingsEV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. If you don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings and you can do just that. ko-fi.com slash evmusings. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric? 
available on Amazon Worldwide for the means to sell p or equivalent in its great little introduction to living with an electric car. Please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you very much. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at Musing TV with the words, The plane! The plane! Hashtag if you know, you know. Nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know his latest scheme is to transform the NFT market by combining cryptocurrency with leisure travel. Instead of booking journeys using cash, all you do is you buy an NFT and trade that off against wherever you want to go. His company will commercialise this and take one pence per transaction. He reigns it'll be an absolute winner and asked him how he could be so sure he'll make money. He said, two billion air tickets are sold each year for flights under 500 miles. Thanks for listening. Bye.